Welcome. This is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcast as well as many other audio offerings. Ugandan journalist Andrew Mwenda spoke to an audience here at Cato on Wednesday to explain why he believes that foreign aid only exacerbates Africa's problems instead of alleviating them. Aside from editing the politics section in the Daily Monitor, a newspaper in Kampala, Uganda, he also works as a research fellow at Stanford University. Andrew is author of the Cato study, Foreign Aid and the Weakening of Democratic Accountability in Uganda. He is our guest today. Andrew, can you walk me through a brief history of aid in Africa? Well, since 1960, when most African countries got independence, Africa has received nearly $600 billion of aid. Yet that continent has been growing poorer, not richer. Initially, aid was given to finance industrial projects, building factories and roads and dams. That did not improve the economic situation on the continent. Donors changed and started giving aid to finance policy reform, privatization, liberalization. Governments deliberately sabotaged the reform effort and the continent continued to grow poorer. Now aid is being given for poverty reduction to finance education, health, infrastructure. But the situation is not getting better. It's getting worse. So the first intuition you get from that experience is that aid does not bring about economic advancement. But the second suspicion you get is that aid could actually be one of the factors contributing to bad governance and economic stagnation. Well, that may be true, but aid doesn't actually get into the hands of those who need it. It stays in the coffers of politicians who receive it. So it seems that aid itself isn't the problem. Rather, it is management. Well, that is the point, that it is actually difficult to get aid to its intended beneficiaries, the poor. You know why? The poor don't sit in parliament. The poor don't sit in aid bureaucracies. The poor are not in power. Now, any attempt to channel aid to reach the poor must go through intermediaries. What happens, like would happen with any institution, is that those in the supply chain of aid continue to cream it off so that by the time it reaches the poor, actually the poor get the crumbs off the dinner table of aid. What has been the impact of aid on the economy? I think it is very difficult economically to measure the impact of aid on the economy. But we can measure the impact of aid on things like inflation. In Uganda's case, aid puts up inflationary pressures, forcing government to buy money out of circulation. If you go to Uganda right now, because Uganda receives a lot of aid, the central bank is holding treasury bills to the tune of $800 million. Interest payments per year on those treasury bills are $150 million. Now, who pays the $150 million? The taxpayer, through the budget. So it shows you that actually aid produces inflation, and the only way you can control inflation is by buying treasury bills. And when you buy treasury bills, well, you are taxing the taxpayer with $150 million. And yet that taxpayer never received the aid. He's the poor person who never got the aid. Is Uganda capable of funding its own budget without foreign aid? Certainly. Certainly. And that is the fetish of aid. In fact, if you look at Uganda's budget, I'll give you an example. Uganda spends $200 million on an incompetent and corrupt military. $40 million a year goes to pay ghost soldiers, the soldiers who exist on the register, 
but don't exist in fact. State House, that is the residence of the president in Uganda, is allocated nearly $50 million a year. Now, all the president's daughters are married off and his son is also working. You can ask yourself what the president and his wife spend on for them to <laughs> have a cost of $50 million on the taxpayer. So if Uganda government did two things, one, it needs to reform and prioritize better its public expenditure, shift money from paying for an incompetent and corrupt military to pay for education, shift money from sustaining a luxurious lifestyle of the president and put it into health, reduce money. Uganda has 114 presidential advisors who never see the president except on television. And when they see him physically, it's at public functions. And even there, it's him who advises them. So you can imagine 114 presidential advisors. Can you believe that? We have a cabinet of 69 ministers. In America, you have only eight with a GDP of $13 trillion. I mean, that all nonsense is sustained. You know who sustains it? Foreign aid. Because we are told that the governments don't have money and they need it from Western taxpayers. But the governments have money. And do you know what they are doing with it in Africa? They are buying private jets for their presidents. They are buying luxury cars for the ministers. They are paying for expensive shopping sprees in Paris. And African politicians and bureaucrats are buying prime real estate in New York when real estate prices are so high and Americans can't afford Well, that's just Uganda's case. What about other African countries that are faring arguably worse than Uganda? Go to Kenya and Uganda will look like a joke. Visit Nigeria. Nigerians hold $60 billion worth of wealth outside of their own country. Nigerian businessmen, those politicians and thieves who steal money from government oil dollars, they don't put it in Nigeria. They put it in Switzerland. $60 billion of private wealth of Nigerians is held abroad not inside Nigeria. So Uganda is simply a joke. Go to Zimbabwe. Just cross over to Congo Zaire. One time, Mobutu, the former president, had capacity to sign a check and write off all the debts of his country. And whenever his country was bankrupt, they said, oh, please give us money. He said, "Mm, this country can't pay me back. (laughs) Well, he had stolen all the money. So this is not a problem of Uganda. It is basically a problem of most African governments. I can tell you 99%. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.